0: I wanted to share with you a letter that we received this week from Mountain View Presbyterian Church outside of Las Vegas, dear brothers and sisters in Christ at Riverside Presbyterian Church. As your church family copes with the terrible tragedy of the Jacksonville shootings, know that our congregation shares in your pain and sense of loss. We understand the heart-wrenching impact of such an event on a community. We are certain that you have found, as we did in Las Vegas following the shooting of October 1st, 2017, that in the midst of tragedy there arise incredible acts of courage, selflessness, compassion, caring, and love. The power of the Holy Spirit moving the human spirit. We pray for your communities, the families of the victims, and the healing for survivors. We pray for an end to the senseless violence in our country and for those proclaiming that this cannot happen again. And we pray for those that, and we pray that those words might come true, that they will not. We pray that God mercifully and bountifully blesses you with his grace and peace. I found this so powerful as a symbol of what we are as a church united together. In the Presbyterian Church, we claim that we are congregations that are connected, and this is an example of just that, that we pray for each other, but not just as Presbyterians. All Christians call to pray for each other and lift up the power of the Holy Spirit that they may be present in the congregations around our planet. Today is uh, Labor Day, obviously, looking around, uh, according to, thank you for being here, by the way, on this Labor Day weekend. Um, This Labor Day weekend is a great time for people to get the last bit of recreation uh, under their belts before the school year and the work year begin in earnest, and so uh, what better way to do that than to also worship on the Sunday of Labor Day the text this morning is a text that came in the lectionary, that is to say, I didn't choose it, it chose us. And, uh, but I find that it's apropos to where we are today, especially theologically, as Presbyterians, we claim that we are not saved by works, but by God's grace alone, solo gracia. We are saved only by grace, not by what we do. Yet, on the other hand, And this is true for most truth, by the way. It's not either or, it's both and. On the other hand, James says faith without works is dead. So this morning I would like for us to consider what it means for us as Christians to do the work of Christ. Our text comes to us from Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10 and 17 through 24. Hear the word of God. Now, when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups and pots and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your Tradition. That commandment is, of course, the commandment of love. Now, in verse 17, when Jesus had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then do you also fail to understand? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile, since it enters not the heart but the stomach and goes out into the sewer? Thus he declared all foods clean and he said is it what it is what comes out of a person that defiles for it is from within from the human heart that evil intentions come fornication and theft and murder adultery avarice wickedness deceit licentiousness those are obvious but also envy slander pride and folly All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. You hypocrite, Jesus said to them, those religious leaders. And hypocrite is such an ugly word, like bully or cretin or drunk or dipstick, or dork, or dookie, sorry. It is an ugly word because it implies that someone is completely inauthentic and fake, that they appear to be good on the outside, but underneath, they're the exact opposite. John McCain was no hypocrite. He hated hypocrites, he hated the use of power to bully others. He hated the inauthenticity that politics often demands on those to get reelected. He hated the process that has to happen in order to make things work in Congress. But he respected the process nevertheless. He was no hypocrite because what you saw in John McCain is what you got, he was profane. He had a temper. He struck friends with both sides of the aisle. He had integrity. He was authentic to who he was. There was no hypocrisy to John McCain. John McCain was also no Jesus, but they shared a common dislike for hypocrites. Jesus uses the term hypocrite Only twice in the New Testament, once in the passage I read this morning, and if you really want a full sense of it, go to Matthew 23. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You follow the letter of the law, but you do not understand the Spirit. Seven times in Matthew, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you religious leaders, you hypocrites, and he accuses them of living pure and righteous on the outside while underneath missing the whole point on the inside. Jesus and John McCain hated righteous religious hypocrisy. This morning's passage is a classic example. The scribes and Pharisees were always trying to trick Jesus and his disciples up and they noticed that they were not ritually washing as is the custom in Leviticus before a meal. And so they call him on it. What's up? It goes against the law of the Bible. The word of God is clear. You must follow these precepts in terms of your ritual cleansing. But Jesus, understanding their hypocrisy, calls them on it in return. Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites as it is written the people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me I can only imagine the conflict the sense of tension that must have been present between Jesus and the religious leadership at that moment he's calling them hypocrites wonder how they responded We know, of course, that that was the beginning of their conspiracy to make sure Jesus would not live too much longer. Jesus knew that nothing can kill the religious institution or any institution faster than infecting it with hypocritical leaders. Hypocritus, hypocritus, I just made the word up. It's that infectious disease that spreads all over the place and anything that it touches becomes contaminated. In the time of the hurricane and earthquake damage at Haiti, the Red Cross sent out many heartfelt pleas asking for support to help the Haitians and they received a bunch of money. In fact, they received more money than they could responsibly use to help the Haitians. Yet it turns out that they continued to promote the need for that, asking for more, using the Haitians' plight in order to do so. And in the process, they were discovered as being deceitful and in a way, hypocritical. That is to say that what they pretended to be on the outside was not what they were on the inside. We see this all the time in politics. It seems like that's the only way politics can work. What you are on the outside is not what you are on the inside. For if you reveal what you are on the inside, you're not going to get anything passed. But in terms of being a hypocrite, I cannot stand up here and talk about politics and philanthropy without talking about the church. It happens to be in a very dire place right now in terms of our being hypocritical. You have to be living under a rock if you're not following what's going on in the Catholic Church with the issue of pedophilia from so many priests over so many years, but especially the cover-up that who knows really how far it goes. We just know it goes deep, layer after layer after layer. And that leaves us with this sense that how hypocritical of the church to be in the midst of that while knowing all of this other darkness is going on underneath and the evangelical church has been accused i'll get to the mainstream church in a minute but the evangelical church has been accused of buddying up way too closely with the political power structure of today selling their whole ideal their theology their faith down the road for the sake of the political backing that they are receiving And many people say, how hypocritical of them. And the mainline church, as someone once called the Democratic Party in prayer, has shared its own hypocrisy in that regard. But also in our sense of intellectual, academic, enlightenment, enlightenment, Facade. And our egos are built on that same facade because we are, of course, the smart people. We're the enlightened people. We're the real envy of everyone else, which shares its own sense of hypocrisy. I suspect this has a lot to do with why fewer and fewer people are coming to church. I was having a conversation with a young woman a while back, not too far back, a couple of months back, and asked her why she no longer went to church. And she said, well, to tell you the truth, I don't go to church because it's just full of hypocrites. You mean people who pretend to be something that they're not. She said, exactly. I said, I can understand that. My church is full of nothing but hypocrites. She didn't laugh any more than you just did. And I continued, but isn't that the point? That the church is for hypocrites like AA is for alcoholics. It's the place you go to get well. And that really, if you think about it, only hypocrites are welcome here because deep down, we are not on the outside what we are on the inside. You really don't want to know what I am on the inside most of the time. I was having a conversation with a friend recently complimenting him on this really powerful presentation that he had made at a meeting that we both attended. He was well prepared. But what I complimented him on was his temperament. He was being attacked from all sides with all kinds of emotional reactivity, using children to make a point. People were screaming at him, and he stood up there so powerfully without showing any real emotion. He was not defensive. He he did not attack in return. I marveled at him. When I mentioned it to him, he said, Ha! If you want to know what I really wanted to say... He was hypocritical. He was not on the outside what he was on the inside, which is to say that sometimes we are called to be something else than what we are deep down. And what we're called to be, of course, is the presence of Jesus. That's the work we are called to do in the church I would like, therefore, for us to reconsider the term hypocrite by owning up to it. None of us reveal who we are truly, deep down, and that's a good thing. The church is the place, however, where we begin to practice who we want to be on the outside in hopes that that will sooner or later leave an imprint on who we are or who we will be on the inside. That we put on the mask of Christ long enough that that mask will make an imprint on us and we begin to actually feel like Jesus by acting out like Jesus. In fact, the original meaning of the term for hypocrite goes back to the Greek theater, the drama when the actors which is what the word means, hypocrite, actor, would put a mask on their face and then they would play underneath the mask, play out that character from underneath. The word for hypocrite means coming from up underneath. And these characters wore this mask enough so that they became the actual character of the one they were playing. And this is the point. I'm making. The mask we're called to wear is the mask of Christ. It is the work of Christ. And in doing that work, what is on the outside may in fact start changing what is on the inside. I probably have changed more in this sense than in anything I can think of in terms of my own theology. Because I used to think that God had to convert me and us before I could start acting more like Christ. And what I've discovered is until I start acting more like Christ, I am not truly converted. This is a battle. The Bible is clear about it. This is a battle. What mask will we wear? So in Ephesians 6, Paul writes, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, you may stand firm. Stand therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness, not self-righteousness, As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. If we clothe ourselves in the garments of the armor of God, then we will eventually find out that they fit us better and better each day. And the work of Christ, which is our work, from year to year as we wear the mask of Jesus, will start looking like more like who we are deep down. So we come to the table as hypocrites. All of us. Let us at least own that. But we also come knowing that we are loved and forgiven and given the power of the Spirit to move us and change us into becoming something more authentically Christ-like. From one hypocrite to another... Let us come.